It's a funny thing being a rabbi. You know, people, they often ask, how do you decide what you're going to talk about? And to be honest, it's usually fairly routine. Usually I look I, on my Yellow calendar, I go, oh, I'm speaking Friday night. And so I go and I read the Torah portion, I read a few commentaries, and then I just sit on it. It's all I think about all week. And usually, most of the times, I'll be on my bike ride, coming to the synagogue, and it hits me, that's what I'm going to talk about. I pull over, I pull the laptop out, and I just start to type, and I get 90% of it done. Now, sometimes that's Wednesday morning, sometimes it's Friday mornings. <laughs> and within a few hours, I'm standing here. Now, there's other times that I'll jot down themes throughout the year in case I don't get inspired that week. But something happened a few months ago, which was remarkably different for me. I was flying back from the APAC Progressive Rabbis trip in Israel, and as we were flying over the Arctic Circle, and you could see all the snow in the barren landscape, it hit me. And I pulled my laptop out, just like I was on my bike, and I started typing. And I was furiously typing page after page, and then I got slower and slower because I realized what I was going to say, what was coming out on the paper, it was not going to fly when I got back to San Francisco. That if I got up and said what I wanted to say, oi, was there going to be blowback? And so I did something, which I usually don't do, is that I shelved the sermon. I said, the time will come, I'll figure out how to give it. And the strange thing was, is that as I pressed my head against that window with the jets roaring in the background, and I was looking out on that barren, snowy landscape, I was writing in this in-between space. No one lived below me. No one had any opinions there. Now in Israel, where I was coming from, heading to San Francisco, there's a lot of opinions in those two places. You see, when I had spent the week in Israel on the APAC trip, we were asked on our first night, and we had dinner with Yossi Klein Halevi. We were asked to keep our minds open about APAC and also about Israel. Now, many of, us, many of us on that trip had come with these preconceived notions of what APAC was and what their main focus was. And we were told the APAC narrative numerous times. We would have these sessions where you could ask them anything. When we were on the bus, we would ask them anything and everything. And APAC, they make this analogy that there is the body of Israel and there's the soul of Israel. And what APAC does is that it takes care of the body of Israel. And you can see this in everything that they do. Their lobbying efforts, they're fairly basic. Every year there's three big things that they lobby on, and they always pertain to ensuring the safety of Israel. For them, keeping the body strong is real. Now this is actualized through lobbying for money for Israel's defense. This includes the Iron Dome and other means for Israel to defend itself in a very rough neighborhood. But when it would come to the issues that did not pertain to ensuring the survival of the body of Israel, it just wouldn't be addressed. They would call that the soul of Israel. Now when it came to the settlements, to civil rights for Arabs, for economic equality in Israel, they would say over and over again, these are important issues, and they're real issues. But that's the soul of Israel, and our focus is the body. Now, what I will say 
is that after the week I spent on the progressive rabbi's trip in Israel, I got a sense that something was stirring in Israel, which I hadn't noticed before. Now let me explain. Normally, APAC will only focus on the body. That's what they do. One can expect to hear briefings from high-ranking members of the military updating you on Hezbollah and Lebanon. And we met with the highest generals. We went to the border with Syria and also with Lebanon. This is APAC's bread and butter. But what was different on this trip was that was not the majority of what APAC showed us. It was a little fraction. What they focused on is that thing which has become the third rail in American discussions on Israel. But in Israel, it has become a normalized conversation. It's summed up in one word. It's that one word that I realized when I looked over the Arctic. Oy, if I said that word. It's the occupation. And while I heard that word over and over again, and at first I heard it, I noticed it. But then it took me a while to realize that this word, it was not a left-wing word. It wasn't a right-wing word. It's just the normalized conversation within Israel on the right and on the left. Now, they don't agree on what to do with the occupation or how much of a threat it is, but it's just the normal conversation among everyone. When here in America, it's something which is not talked about, except within a polarized niche of a certain political spectrum of Israel supporters. But you see, in Israel, it's not a niche conversation. It is a conversation that has permeated all of society. APAC, they brought us to meet with Breaking the Silence, a group of Israeli soldiers who believe that what is being done with the occupation is a human rights violation. APAC brought us to meet with the mayor of Afrat, a 10,000-person settlement in the West Bank. APAC brought us to meet with an Israeli Arab who talked about how he loved Israel and that this was his country, but that he was regularly discriminated against and was held at the airport for hours each time he traveled, even though he was an Israeli citizen. APAC brought us to meet with Shikaki, the chief statistician in Ramallah, who the State Department uses to understand the thinking of the Palestinians. And we were shown the results that the younger generation no longer has a desire for a national Palestinian state. But instead, they want a one-state solution because they just want their rights. They don't care if they have a national identity anymore because they no longer have faith in the Palestinian Authority or in the Israeli government. This trip, it was real, it was difficult, and had each of these 20 rabbis wrestling with the complexities of Israel. Now, while APAC might be an organization that focuses on the body of Israel and is not a prescriptive organization, they would never come along and tell another democracy that this is how you should handle your country. But what they did want us to see and what they did want us to know is that the soul of Israel is suffering. The only people with who would not say that the soul of suffering was the very right-wing settlers. But even among the right-wing settlers, that mayor of Afrat, Oded Ravivi, a mayor of a 10,000-person settlement, said that if peace came and his kids wouldn't have to serve in the military, he would leave his house and take the entire 10,000-person settlement with him. Now, the sense that I got was that APAC wants us to understand that Israel 
is a complicated and nuanced place, just like our country. The harm that we do as Americans is when we ignore this fact. When the far left wing chants end the occupation, or the far right wing does not mention the word occupation. If we love Israel and we care that it exists and is healthy both in body and also in soul, it's our obligation to care about its body and its soul. And we know what happens. When a child has lost a parent, and instead of telling her to grieve and say that it's okay to be sad and it's okay to be angry and to be confused, if you just told them to be quiet, keep that inside of you. If you tell that grieving child that she cannot share the truth or what is going on, there's gonna be deleterious effects and sometimes those effects will last for generations. It is our job as Jews to be actively engaged with Israel, both the body of Israel and the soul of Israel. Now, you might be wondering, why this week? Why I decided that it was time to talk, even though if prior history shows me anything, there are gonna be a lot of people very angry that I said the O word. The fact is, if you're not talking about the occupation, you're actually no longer in the conversation that Israel is having. If we want to be actively engaged in Israel today, we need to be having the same conversation that they're having. Not being stuck in a narrative that's now over 15 years old and acting like it's still the 1990s. So why this week? Why did I pull this sermon from the shelf? Because this was one of those weeks that I read the Parsha. I read Parsha Re'eh, and then I sat on it, and then it began to eat away at me. The title of this Parsha Re'eh means see. The line goes Re'eh, see, I present to you a blessing or a curse. The blessing provided that you hearken to the commandments of your God that I command you today, and the curse? If you do not hearken to the commandment of God and turn aside from the way that I commanded you today. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean that we're commanded? That we, the people of Israel, the ones who engage and wrestle with God, to be commanded means to be engaged. When we refuse to step out of our small niche and engage in a difficult and a nuanced discussion, it is at that point We've not hearkened to what we have been commanded to do. We're supposed to be wrestlers engaging with what is uncomfortable. What has made us strong and kept us as a single people for the last 2,000 years is that we engage with each other. We wrestle with each other and we constantly disagree with each other. No other group of people have survived as a people except for us. The Romans are gone, the Greeks are gone, the Egyptians are gone. But we have remained because we have engaged. But one of our greatest challenges is that we have become so Americanized that we can appear like our politics of today, polarized and not engaging with a person who has a different opinion than us. I can tell you in Israel that they are engaging and there are a thousand different opinions. When we stop engaging with each other 
and respectively and actively disagreeing with each other, it's at that point that we are no longer in touch with who we actually are. We are no longer the people of Israel, the people who wrestle. Now, what's the result of that? We are now raising a generation that no longer identifies or cares about Israel because Israel has become what we are warned about this week in the Torah. It becomes an idol, something which is static and unchanging and cannot be touched. We're told this week by Moses, Israel is a place where Torah is supposed to be alive, a place we are supposed to engage, a place we're supposed to disagree, a place we are always supposed to be struggling to get where it could be. As long as we live in a society that we cannot discuss the occupation, we will continue to make Israel like an idol that is static. And since idols are not alive, they will decay. I think back to the Midrash about Abraham smashing his father's idols in the shop. Idols are made of stone and they cannot repair themselves. But when something is real and infused with meaning, it can continue to grow and heal and thrive. But it's only going to be when we re'eh, when we see Israel for what it is, and when we see Israel for what it could be, that we will be able to bring the blessings to the world. Shabbat Shalom.